name is Lauren. I'm going to read the scripture for today's gathering. So if you're able to stand again, uh, out of respect for God's word, we're going to get into it. So today we are reading Luke 15, 11 through 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Jesus, give me the share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, so he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That's God's word for us today. All right, what's happening? Good to see everybody. Thank you, Lord, for reading. It's our last day in the parable of the prodigal. Uh, my name's Andy, and I know it's Super Bowl Sunday. I don't watch much football, but I know some people love it, and that's great. You might be wondering where we're partying if you don't have a place to go. It is at 312. Ranch, Cole Road Ranch, Cole Ranch Road. Take that off the notes. 312 Cole Ranch Road. We'd love to have you with us. If you don't have a spot to go, I'll be barbecuing. Um, there's already people who replied, but if you want to come, you're more than welcome. So um, just let me know or just show up. But yeah, just come and bring something, please. Bring some food to cook. All right. A, um, I was in my kids' class this week, and they're learning how to write. And they say that whatever you do in the beginning, it's so important. And it's either a quote or a story or a question. And so my, I was like, oh, I'll try this out. Here's my question. Is it time for you to grow up? Oh, that's like a stinging question, right? Is it time for us to grow up? 
And what do we need to do so? That's like my intro. Aren't you in now? You're in. Isn't that kind of cool? I thought I'd try it out. What does that mean to do so, and um, what is needed in order to grow up? We are concluding our series today called Homecoming, Celebrating the Loss Being Found. And it's been rooted in Luke 15, which has these beloved parables, uh, the parable of the lost sheep, lost coin, and then also the parable of the prodigal son. We'll talk about that name later. But what's true about each of these parables is that heaven parties when the lost and lonely find their home in God when the defiant and wandering find themselves being found by God. I think I said that right. In our sin, God searches for us, and in our salvation, everybody celebrates up, upstairs. They're having a good time. And the joy of homecoming is so compelling that the earth is uh, compelled to join. That's what's really awesome about it. And these are parables. A lot of times people talk about parables only having one point. Parables are more than that. Parables um, don't illustrate or reinforce a meaning. They actually create a worldview. They, they create meaning. That's why Jesus uses them a lot. They, they teach us something that would not be taught otherwise. That's why the Lord uses parables. In fact, our Lenten series will be rooted in parables. We're going to have different speakers, which is really exciting for me, uh, from within our congregation. I love that part of like walking with people as they teach. I love it. Um, but yeah, the, in the parable of the prodigal son that Laura read so well, um, there's a lot of themes. There's a theological cluster that arises. You could teach sermons on the parenthood of God, the nature of sin, what exactly is repentance, the joy that can only be found in community, finding the lost, of course, what is the good life, spiritual maturity, rediscovering worship, which we leaned our, we dipped our toe in a couple weeks ago, uh, self-righteousness that rejects others. That was last week when we talked about elder brother lostness. Divine hospitality, what is home? There's so many themes. And one of the themes that's uh, easily missed when we read the parable, particularly this one, but all three of them, is how gentle and lowly God is. Uh, our view of God, and, and more importantly, any fear that we have in God might just be one of life's greatest tragedies. Uh, Jesus is describing who God is. God is gentle and lowly, and it's also worthy to note that God is easily rejected easily rejected by many. And how God responds to rejection, when we look at it, particularly as one who's a humiliated father, is really peculiar. He absorbs the rejection and then lets that fuel his compassion and searches for you and I, whether we're outside of his doors or sometimes even inside of his home. And then I, is it helpful to review, recap the last sermons, like the couple one? I always think it's okay. So with this parable of the prodigal, we found in the first week where we looked at the younger son, that God, God honors our freedom to reject God because God knows love is a choice. Love is volitional. That love can only exist within the framework of freedom. And a God, this is crucial to our worldview, critical, is a God who loves risks that his love is not received. The God who loves Bethany and wants Bethany to love him and others, he's not going to coerce her. He's not going to make Bethany a slave. He's going to give her the freedom to choose that love even at the risk of not receiving that love back. That's critical to the world, our worldview. And ultimately, this is the catcher, is home can only be found in God's divine love. That's the kicker. So God loves us. He sends Jesus to bring us home. So what are the, some of the ways that God welcomes those who may be far from home? Well, when we're looking at the Father, um, we keep an eye looking out. The Father always has his eye looking out. So in the church, we tend to look in, but we have to keep one of our eyes looking out even if it makes us cross-eyed. 
<laughs> and then when people come in, we embrace one another while dismissing their shame. Ah, oh, I shouldn't have done this. It's like, you're here. I'm glad you're here. God's going to take care of the rest. Uh, no condemnation in Christ. And then with that, we deflect all authority except for God's loving dominion. This isn't about Andy. This isn't about Water's Edge. This is about the God who loves us. That's, that's the younger son. That was a few weeks back. And then last week, we talked about the elder brother and the elder brother lostness that exists within the church, which, in my opinion, is a greater lostness. And I'll talk about that why. But we talked about this idea is we need to be aware of our own tendency to be a self-righteous big brother or sister. It's so easy to point our finger at all those other ones and say, ah, that's not me. Like, look at those scandalous church leaders. That's elder brother lostness. But to say, hey, I'm not an elder brother is a very elder brother thing to say. That's the rub. We need to be aware of our own elder brother lostness so that we can become the true brother and sisters that our brothers and sisters need and want, that the world wants. And we ask the follow-up questions, well, how do we break our cycle of self-righteousness? Not worry about others, because when we, when we start blaming others, we're in the cycle, right? So how do we break our own cycle? We have to not only repent of the things that we do wrong, we need to be open and honest about the ways in which we fall short, but we also need to repent for the reasons we do things right. Like when I give or host Rue, am I doing it because I think I need to do it, or am I doing it because I want to hold baby Jesus? We all have mixed motivations. We just do. I have it. We have it. And are we aware of our own lostness? I thought that was a rich conversation last week. And then the next point is whether we're right, wrong, or likely somewhere in between, we must believe that God is always pursuing us. There was two huge implications that we found with the older brother, is that the father went out and searched for the older brother. He went out. The, sh the shepherd searches for the sheep. The woman searches for the lost coin, and then the father does search, but for the elder brother, which has a huge implication that elder brother lostness is likely a greater lostness than younger brother lostness. The second one was this, is, well, who's supposed to be searching for the younger brother? To which we realize, oh, it was the elder brother who should have been out searching for the younger brother. And uh, that's one of the things we do to break the cycle is we go out and search for the lost. That's who Jesus is. He's a true older brother. That's what, the older, that's what the world needs is brothers searching for the lost, sisters and brothers searching for the lost. This is our calling, and it will come at a cost. The grace we receive is free, but it came at a cost to God, very costly. And as we're welcome into God's home, because of the infinite cost that Jesus paid, God really can ask anything from us. But the mystery of that is that Anything that God asks from us really is for us. So that's the beauty of the kingdom, that it's for our benefit. When God calls us to do something sacrificial, it's only going to reinforce spiritual fortitude. It's only going to give us hope. It's going to give us joy. It's going to be the way to true life. Caught up. Feel good? That's where we were. Now we're here today. That feels good. All right. Um, I think one of the things I've been asking is who's somebody God's asking you to run after? Name someone in your life that God's calling you to, to run to, someone who may be lost or lonely. And I'd love to see how that's going. 
one of the things I want to hit is just keep hitting this point. Like, how, what's it like to run after this person? I have a neighbor, Alan. He showed up a couple times. I feel like God continues. It's hard, but like, I just got to go up to him when we walk our dogs somewhere and say, hey, what is the Lord bringing to your attention lately? What's going on in your life? How can I support you? Even if he doesn't have much interest. So who's that for you? We had these cool little, like, little yous. Take time to share with one another. If you happen to be sitting right next to your wife, maybe turn to that couple that's cute right over there and tell them what's going on. Say, hey, I'm Jeb. You want to come over today? Okay, sweet. <laughs> Let's do that. Okay. Take some time. Sorry, I just like, I'm also our photographer. All right. Ben, what up, dude? Any news? Still same spot? Same-ish, okay. Coco reached out. Radio silence, but understood. Still, I mean, maybe, maybe. All right. Someone who may be lost and lonely, that God is inviting. Did you go yet? You didn't go yet. 30 more seconds. 30 more seconds. Go ahead. Sorry. Tears? They're welcome here. I'm here to hug. I'm here to hug. When I see tears, I'm just like, come here. Yeah. All right. Hey, Paula. All right, we're gonna we'll have a couple more times of sharing. So I want to read I want to read this quote real quick. The transition our time. Who's an author? Anybody know an author that I love? Dutch Catholic priest. He deceased like 20 years ago. Any one of my favorite authors, Henry Nouwen. You all know that. He 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 he, he writes this in his seminal work, uh, The Return of the Prodigal Son, uh, he says that the parable of the prodigal provides like a deep, deep commentary for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the younger who remains faithful and the true elder who is fruitful. As the younger, Jesus, the beloved of father, leaves his home and comes into the world to take on the sins of God's rebellious children and then bring them home. But while, he is, while he's leaving, he's also the true elder because he remains close to the Father. And through total obedience, Jesus offers healings to his resentful brothers and sisters. For everyone's sake, Jesus fulfills the duties of both the younger son and the elder son, thereby becoming like the Father. It's like, whoa, that's like really deep, you know, mind blown. Um, I mean, you've heard Jesus' words in one of the most famous verses he answered, I am the way and the truth of the, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Even um, when you were reading, Laura, you interchanged the word Father for Jesus, which I thought that was anointed because that is a bit of the point. It was a bit of the point. It's like some, we just do that. Like we'll say, oh, Jesus, Father, but is Jesus our brother? How's that work, Trinity? But the truth is, and Jesus says this, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? After I've been among you for such a long time, 
Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. See, our, our return home, our return home, and this is really the call, is ultimately the challenge to become like the Father. Our return to the Father is the challenge to become like the Father. And the good news is you become like the Father when you become like Jesus. That's, that's, that's key. That repentance, as we said in the past, it's not about turning from something, but more importantly, turning towards someone. It is giving up our futile agendas and allowing the Spirit to do a work in our lives, to be open to the hospitality of God. But in that uh, coming home, it precludes that we take on the vocation of our Father. And Jesus, by being the true younger and the true elder, shows us what it takes to be the Father. We become like the Father for the sake of others as we become like Christ. Our return to the Father is ultimately the challenge to become like the Father. And I think it's helpful to note with that language that can feel paternal that God, and we said this with the woman of lost coin, God represents the best and distinctive qualities of what it means to be a male and the best and distinctive qualities of what it means to be a female. That in God's parenthood, you have beautiful paternal qualities and maternal qualities. And the call is to become like the father that we see in this parable, to become a spiritual parent. That is the call. It's time to grow up at some point. It doesn't happen right away, but I think what's helpful is when we talk about growing up, like what is, what, what is that term, how does that hit us? Because I think sometimes we have an aversion to the term spiritual parent or spiritual father. And there's, there's a lot of, there's a cultural aversion to it when you hear that. Uh, you can think of the term paternalism. Or in our context in the West, there's this phrase that's used sociologically called Christian patriarchy, which looks a lot like people's nationalistic focus commingled with their beliefs. Like when you hear people talk about an issue and somehow they're talking about it through the lens of their faith, but it fills in their political platform very well. Should I bring an example? No, don't. I don't want to. I would want to be an equal opportunity offender if I brought an example. But say someone sees a bunch of immigrants in a parking lot registering for something. And all of a sudden, they just say, these immigrants are invading your country. They're all men and like blah, blah, blah. And which is like, I understand having those reservations, but like having no heart for the journey that they've been on or thinking through like sadness, you could still like, be a conservative and talk about that, but like not even consider the road they walk, but only see a threat. That's Christian patriarchy. If you see a woman who aborts a child, equal opportunity offender, and you just celebrate the fact that she has the freedom to do so because that is her body and that's her right, without thinking the road that she's walked, the regret that she might have, much less about not seeing that child one day in glory or not, because God knit together every child, knew them before they were in their womb. Like, Think about that. Like when people talk about their platforms from a lens without any of the heart of the Father, that's Christian patriarchy. That's me getting political in my one message, okay? Okay. <laughs> Just saying that. When people, like, when they're so consumed with being right about their ticket without recognizing the empathy and the kindness and the mercy of the Father, it's like, ooh, gets me fired up which is my own paternalism. You know what I mean? i got to watch my own anti-political statements too. 
because we do need to like be people who stand for stuff at times, you know? So it's, it's invasive. I'll go on to that. <laughs> I have my own struggles. I always like to see myself as a big brother because it's easier to see myself than as a parent. I'm not the boss of you. We're kind of in it together. There's layers to that. Um, there's layers to it. There's a do-it-myself mentality. There's people-pleasing. But as Larry has coached me, it's like, hey, you need to take on more of a father role if you're going to lead a church. You can't just be a big brother. You need to be a father. And so that's, that's the call. There's also a, um, a greater temptation in the church for all of us to remain, to remain dependents, to deem ourselves somewhat unfit or unworthy to lead for various reasons. We do that. It's, it's a lot easier to be fed than to feed others. And um, yeah, it's something that it, it plagues the church, that we all want to be spiritual infants or adolescents. Um, yeah. And I think it's helpful to note that there is a need for leaders in the church. Historically and biblically, we see that we need spiritual guides to help us hear and respond to God, those who want to lovingly reflect the Father's heart and help us become like the Father. Um, and we, we as a church want to lift those people up. There's fairness in that. Uh, and we want to lift those who are not primarily gifted, but those who are dependent on the Father, those whose character is just wondrously grace-filled. And then, yeah, then we want to look at their different giftings and pairings. Because without spiritual parents in the church, the church becomes a bit stagnant. Growth will wane. We won't be challenged. Ultimately, it's sort of boring at its best. So we need uh, people within the church to take on the challenge to become like the spiritual father or spiritual parent, if you will. Our return to the Father is ultimately the challenge to become like the Father. Yeah, and I know there's seasons, we all need seasons of rest. Sometimes it's like, that feels like I got something I got to do. Um, and I, this is a layered conversation, but if there's always a reason to not step into a new role or responsibility, that's less about rest and likely more about disobedience, about God's calling in your life, in my life. So here's the question I have for you. We had a good time talking. Is there a role or responsibility that God is challenging out of love for you to receive? Is there a greater role that God is challenging you uh, to receive? And just by way of uh, preview, the next question I'm going to ask after this is like, how am I ready? How do I know ready? Because that's what a lot of people say. But like, here's the question. I want to ask this before we talk about being ready. Is there a role or responsibility that God's challenging you to step into? Take a moment, reflect, and then let's talk. All right. I'm seeing a room full of church planners in here. What is yours? I'm going to share yours. <laughs> Not yet? Okay. You want to lead this want to lead this men's group thing with me, these little boys? No? Come on. Did you see that email I sent? Did you see that email I sent to you? Did you see the email I sent to you?
All right. How are we doing? Feeling fairly challenged? Our return to the Father is ultimately the call, the vocation, the challenge to become like the Father. And I think a fair question is, hey, am I ready? Am I ready? Which there is in Scripture you see qualifications to lead. But in almost every scenario is an opportunity to lead. Whether you have a role or not, there's a responsibility there. But the question remains, am I ready? And the answer is no, yes. And there are some helpful ongoing disciplines um, that we all need to step into in order to take on our vocation as a, a spiritual parent. So the answer is you're not ready. The answer is you're, you are ready. And then there are some helpful ongoing disciplines to practice now and to continue practicing as we lead like Jesus, who's like the Father, for the sake of others. There is, and that's what I want to step into on the second half of this gathering. It's just what are some key, critical, essential, I think is the best word, disciplines uh, so that we can receive the calling. What are certain disciplines of the Father that are essential to become like the Father or parent, if you will? Um, because this is, this is essential for our, the fulfillment of our spiritual journeys to grow up. And I'm going to reread just select verses from this, just looking at the Father. So we, again, we're in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. Noteworthy that Jesus never called it the parable of the prodigal son. It's either better noted to be the parable of the lost two sons and or the parable of the prodigal father. Because prodigal does not mean lost or wayward. It means lavish and extravagant, like partying. <laughs> so it could be called the parable of the prodigal father. So scripture says this, Jesus continued, verse 11, there's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property, his bios, that's the Greek word, is his life. He divided his life between them. And as we noted last week, the son lost the wealth, lost himself, remembered his father, remembered the kindness and hospitality of his father, went to return home as a slave, but was received as a son. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. One of Andy's, like, disciplines of the father that's not God's is, like, you got to be fit. God's fit. You know what I mean? He can run. That's not mine. Okay. The son said to his father, son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. No longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. So one of Andy's disciplines has become like the father that's not biblical. You've got to have some food game. That could be a good one, but that's not, that's, not what it, that's not what I'm preaching on. The son of mine was dead and is alive again. He's lost and found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Older son's loss in his anger, he's probably contemplating the loss of his estate and his plans and hearing of a party, his loss of control over being able to control the outcome in the future. And he, re he refuses to go and he shirks his role as uh, his father's master of ceremony. But the father went out and pleaded with him. The father searches for his son and finds him, and the elder cuts him off. He doesn't even dress him by the name of father. He says, look, 
All these years I've been slaving for you. That's another Andy quality is someone who's quick, quick to listen. Not correct, but just listen. That's side sermon. The boy names the unfairness, refutes to celebrate what's truly rich about the father. It's not about the father's wealth. It's about the father's kindness and grace. And you see that in verse 31. My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have was yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and God's people says, and is bound. All right. So there's three disciplines, always three. There's more than that, but what disciplines of the Father are essential to become like the Father? When we ask the question, am I ready, as we consider our call to be spiritual parents, what are essential disciplines that are ongoing uh, to become like the Father? And the first one is this, is the discipline of grieving. The disciplines are not, I'm not going to talk about memorizing the Bible. I'm not going to talk about being able to pray out loud in front of others. I'm not going to talk about not cussing. Um, I'm talking about what essential disciplines there are. And one of the most essential disciplines we need as a spiritual parent is the ability to grieve. The ability to grieve. And grieving, that's, what, what tense is grieving, I-N-G? Anybody know? Present active indicative, right? Ongoing, right? The ability to continue to grieve. To permit one's heart to be broken again and again parenthetical, and again, over the waywardness of others in the world. This is not just the necessary grief that arises in us when we experience our own loss. This is our ability to experience loss in the troubles that are not just inside of our home, but outside in the world and in people's lives, to, to grieve the waywardness, to understand that like joy and like love, grief is volitional. You can choose to do it. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, to mourn with those who mourn. You need to choose to grieve. So what is the father grieving? Well, he grieves his, his rebellious younger son's request to go and find something out there which he'll never find. Grieving that decision to go on his own and search for something that, that'll never fulfill. He also grieves the resentment of the older son to think that inside this home there's got to be something more than this and thereby misses just the graciousness and kindness and presence of God that's in our midst. He sees what other people are going through, and he grieves the lostness, not the, the ignorance, not the even uh, the malevolence of his younger kids, but this the lostness. I'm reading the prophets right now, and I haven't ever spent a lot of time in the prophets. I had to read them for seminary. We've done a sermon series in the prophets. I'm in Ezekiel right now, and Ezekiel 16 talks about Israel as this child um, that God saved, and then later Israel as this wife uh, that God married and adorned, and then this wife left him. And just to give you a note, we're, we're the bride of Christ, so we all fit in that, that category. It's not about women here. It's talking about Israel as a people. And Israel as a, as a wife, we as a wife, were completely unfaithful and given ourselves to our lust, etc. And what it says here, and it, you know, there are some terse language in the prophets but it's, it just stuck out to me in Ezekiel 16.30. What the heart of God says is, what a sick heart you have, says the sovereign Lord. It's a sick heart, like a homesick heart, not a, not a bad heart, not an evil heart, but God sees our waywardness and says, oh, what a sick heart you have. It's like so much compassion of the Father to see past the idiocy of our actions in the world and to see the sickness that the world has. 
the ability to see beyond the division, the ability to see beyond the talking points, the angry faces, the resentment and the contempt, that I am just better than you that you see in other people's face, the pushing, the shoving, the comments in the thread, the oversimplification of the right, the oversimplification of the left, the oversimplification of the church, the spouse walking away, the kid having the tantrum, to be able to see beyond that. That, that's the ability to grieve and see the lostness. It's the ability to see beyond the 60-year-old man in the bar who tries to pick a fight with you for no reason at all. And that's what happened to me the other night. I'm in a bar with Mark Legace. Anybody know Mark Legace? The safest, warmest individual I think you can meet. And he and I go to uh, First Street Bar and Tavern. And, we, and it, the way the... Even the way it's set up, we kind of like just went to a little place and have a seat. Yes, we had a beverage. He had a beverage. It was lovely. It was so awesome. I got out of the house, me and my boy Mark, Friday night in a bar. It's been a while. <laughs> Wood on your elbows, just talking, you know. And what were we talking about? We're talking to my son's 10th birthday. Really hostile conversation. Great Wolf Lodge. Should we go travel somewhere? And some six-year-old guy, because he told me, comes up and sits at our table. He's like, what are you guys talking about? And I just was like, we I mean, were off the side. And I was just like, uh, my son's birthday, what we want to do, who's going to come. He's like, okay, okay. And he keeps holding my hand, like shaking my hand and holding it and grabbing my arms and stuff. He's like, you look like trouble. I'm like, I don't feel like I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah, and Mark is like, and Mark is like, hey, let's just share Jesus' love. I was like, okay, let's do that, you know. And like, <laughs> we're like, yeah, we're Christians. And at some point in the conversation, he, I mean, he's, he's a little bit hammered, right? And he calls us a derogatory term under his breath, but really loud, like what you would call someone with special abilities. That's what he called us, you know? And then Mark had to go to the can, which is fine. <laughs> so I'm here with this guy. And he's like, you know, I still have it. I was like, I'm sure you do. He's like, we could go outside. You know, if you want to do this, we can go outside. He's like, I surf a lot. That's what he said. He's like, I'm strong. I'm like, I, you don't want to do this. I was like, I, I don't want to do this. I was like, I, I know you kind of want to, and I probably kind of want to, but we don't want to do this. I was like, and I wish I didn't say that. I, and this is, I S you not. This is what went down. And I just said, it's not, however it goes, it won't go well. It's just not going to go well. And he just kind of kept chiding me for whatever reason. I don't know what it was. And we tried sharing God's love and like blah, blah, blah. It's really hard in that scenario. And eventually we had to leave. We just got up and left. And I was angry because that's the first. I've been out in the bar and like, just hanging with my boy, just talking. It's like so, so safe and neat. And I was angry for a while. And I just sensed God saying, yes. But you don't know that road that guy's walking. You don't know the regrets that that guy has, the decisions that he's made. Just think about his own lostness. Think about, yes, think about my own, but just focus on his and grief the road that he's walked. You don't know it, but I just had a great sense that he's grieving deeply something. So that's, it kind of got me through for a little bit. But I was bummed, you know what I mean? See past the shenanigans and see people's broken hearts, the sick hearts that we have. And um, yeah, I think it's a helpful tool to choose grief over anger. 
because usually anger is a medium towards grief. And it, it's, it can be a lonely grief as a leader. Um, the father's waiting for his kids to come home, and he's grieving the decisions they make, even the one who's outside but is home but is not home, the older son. It's a lonely grief, but that lonely grief, the ability to even walk in other shoes, it, it fuels a compassion that would not be there elsewise. And uh, it fuels what is needed, another essential discipline of what it means to become like the father. We need to, the discipline of grieving um, to let our hearts, to allow our hearts to be broken. And then we also need to enter the discipline of forgiving. Forgiving, to continue to create space for others while this is who God is and this is what we're called to do. Father, uh, forgive our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. To create space for others while God, while absorbing the cost of their decisions. So to create space for God, I think I wrote God in there because it's like when somebody offends us, we can just tack it to the cross. I think that's why I wrote that now that I'm thinking about it. But we're absorbing the costs of other people's decisions. That's what forgiveness is. There's so many sermons on forgiveness. So much so that like, I'm, it is hard to define. Forgiveness is a very hard term to define. Um, it, yeah. I think like what I've read, what did I write here? It's resisting resentment. It's canceling debts. It's demonstrating mercy and grace. I want you to know it's not about being a doormat or excusing actions or allowing broken decisions to continue. Healing, of course, is needed as we forgive others. I wrote a, I looked at my previous sermon on forgiveness, and I didn't like my definition. Given the heart of the Father, I wrote this some years ago. Forgiveness is a process of choosing as an act of the will to release offenders from the prison of our heart in order to receive healing. That sounds flowery, a choosing act of the will to release offenders from the prison of our heart. Yes, I like all that. I do like it, but it's a bit self-focused when I reread that. It's like, eh. It's like, yeah, I mean, God loved me when I wrote that, but this feels like it's more than that. Like, when you look at the Father, it's a bit more sacrificial. Somehow the forgiveness of God creates space for others while absorbing the cost of their decisions. It's more than that. Uh, it means that even before forgiveness is asked for, the, the Father is absorbing the cost. This is like our Christian worldview, that like the cross came before any ask for repentance, any ask for forgiveness. God went and absorbed the cost. For the younger son, he never even had to ask to be reinstated. The God reinstated him. He asked to be a slave, and God's like, no, I'm going to offer this type of forgiveness. Uh, the elder doesn't come in. The father says, all I have is yours. He goes out and says, all that, that's yours. The son never asked for it. It's, it's, it's more than that. Forgiveness is, it's, it's almost miraculous. It probably is. Um, I don't think we understand how God shows his hands when it comes to forgiveness. Like, he's forgiving us before we even can receive it. It's like, it, it's, it's, it's the act of forgiving it's difficult because it, it requires us to create space for people's toxic, visceral, even offensive commentary and to sit there and be like, if I'm going to forgive you, I'm going to sit in you, you not even knowing you're wrong, but I'm going to sit here and absorb it so that it may or may not, but it may create a platform where there's mutuality and hopefully forgiveness. It's wild. Forgiveness is bigger than that. And I, I probably wrote that previous definition because I know people are hurting and we are hurting. 
But forgiveness is hard, difficult work. So here's the last question. And my questions are all over the place, and I'm okay with it. What, is it. what does or could it look like for you to create space for an offender and to love them in your life? As we talk about what it means to grow up and to be a spiritual parent like the father we see in this parable, what does it look like for you to create space for an offender and love them? Is that one we want to share? Is that one we want to reflect on? What do you think, Care Bear? Yeah, okay, it's good. Because you have a lot of people here that you... <laughs> That's kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. It's the best joke. Sorry. Yeah, just sit with that one. What does it look like for you and I to create space for offensive people and just love them? Oh, I even wrote my notes. If this is difficult to discuss, just listen. It's okay to pass. We're going to pass. So there, there are disciplines of the Father that are essential, and these are disciplines we can practice now. Learning to grieve learning how to create space for uh, offensive people while absorbing the cost, ultimately giving that cost to God, yeah, not becoming doormats, but just allowing it to kind of wash off of us, so to speak, and to reinforce our grief. And the last one, which kind of crescendos everything, it's the discipline of sacrificing. It's to give ourselves away without reserve. Like, this is who the father is in this parable. This is what it means to be a spiritual parent. Anybody that has reared children would recognize that that's a, that's a symbol, not the symbol of what it means to give yourself away. There are other ways in singleness as well as in different arenas of life. But it's true that, like, when you have people that are following you as you follow God, the call is to give yourself away to them without reserve. Uh, and it's much more than just a generosity of finances. It's giving time, energy, attention, whatever's in the fridge. It's giving a welcome. It's giving knowing that, like, hey, I'm just going to give everything to this. And when I give all myself to something, when I give myself away for the sake of God, there is beauty in that because then really no one can take anything from you. It was never mine. It's all God. And when we give ourselves away completely, when we're free to the question, hey, whatever you want to ask of me, God, I'll do it, there's a spiritual fortitude that develops in you. It's like I don't have to live in scarcity yet. I just know that like, my call is to be a spiritual parent. Everything else is flowing out of that. As yeah, Yes, I'm a child of God, but God has given me a responsibility in his home to help lead others to his home. This is the leadership that we need, and it's who God is. And it's all rooted in the gospel. Remember the gospel. We're all wrong. We're all loved. God's love changes our lives, and the call is to return home and hopefully bring some people with us. Yeah, um, this is who Jesus is. Jesus grieves freely. He gives freely. His forgiveness is unparalleled. It's difficult. It's miraculous. And this is why we focus on Christ which is why I love that when you, said, when you read the Father, you said Jesus, because those two are the same. The Father and I are one. And uh, yeah, our call is to lift up the name of Jesus as water's edge. Amen? Um, also, it's to receive freely the grace of God. It is free. The cost, God took the cost, not us. It came at an infinite cost to Jesus. And then you're welcome to the, the Father's home. And as you're welcome to the home, hopefully... 
you'll, you'll take up the invitation to take on the Father's vocation, which is to grieve, forgive, and sacrifice. Some next steps for us, other than going to the Super Bowl party today, is to continue running after someone far from God, Jesus, and the church. This is, this is I believe, our call as Water's Edge. Like, uh, there's an invitation for us to look out and to focus on others and invite them into the beauty that we have. I was meeting with Andrew. Andrew, can I share this? We were meeting Andrew the other day. And I was like, Andrew, man, like, Andrew has different, I'm not going to talk about his life. I just asked him, just like, man, why do you like it here so much? You know, we had lunch the other day. He's like, dude, this is, there's no place like this where you can be known and loved. And yeah, we love Drew. He's easy to love. But it's like, it's true. Like, there's something beautiful about this place. There's also something necessary that people are looking for a place like this. And we need the courage, the courage and the spiritual fortitude to reach to them in love and invite them here. And people are doing that. I see you. I'm trying to. It's not a perfect process. But I think there's an invitation for us in this next season as a church to run to people who are lost and lonely. Amen? All right. Uh, so the next step is invite someone to Water's Edge. I'm looking forward to our Lent series. It's more parables, but these are different ones. We're sharing stories in the long raid home. My hope in this series is that people will, will hear some testimonies of people who've taken on some of these stories of Jesus and, and really wanted to live it out. And then as we invite people in, if there's a way for you to serve on a Sunday team, if there's a further role or responsibility you're taking on, I'm not thinking of anybody, even if you think I looked at you for a second. It wasn't just you. I'm closing my eyes. But there's a few roles in terms of media and hospitality. We are actually thinking about a way to hire a nursery worker. So if you know somebody who's looking for an easy part-time job to help watch babies, a consistent, faithful, uh, loving, Jesus-loving children person, please let us know. Until then, let us pray and uh, let us celebrate together. So Lord, we are, we are grateful for you. And yeah, Lord, I, I know a lot was said in that message. I pray that whatever I said, Lord, Holy Spirit, you would wash it. 